I don't remember 80% of my childhood. I was recently going through a training for a certification program and he, you know, was in a visualization. He was like, just think of a time when you were a child and you were elated, you were ecstatic, you were so in the moment. And I could not think of a single one time, not one. I don't have many memories. And I'm sure a lot of that is the trauma response. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I'm anxiety treatment expert and licensed mental health counselor, Justine Carino. I'm here to help you understand the root of your anxiety so you can create new habits that actually stick. Toxic behavior patterns, dysfunctional relationships, and childhood family trauma are all linked to the anxiety you experience. And that's exactly what we dive into on this podcast. Join me as I guide you through flipping the script on your negative thoughts, setting healthy boundaries in your relationships, and cultivating a self-care practice that's as unique as you are. From my couch to yours, let's create your path to peace. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the honor of diving into a topic that no one ever really wants to talk about or knows how to talk about but we're going to talk about it because we must talk about it. In this episode, you get to hear life and manifestation coach Adriana Keefe share her personal experience of being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. You will hear her talk about how she handled it as a child and how this trauma played out in her teen and adult years. You're also going to hear about how her trauma impacted her level of trust in other people, as well as her romantic relationships in her adulthood. We talk a little bit about her husband and we have a little moment about why he's probably put into her life right now. So this episode will give you some takeaways on how Adriana coped with her trauma and what she's done for herself to heal and recover. Okay, let's get into this episode so you can meet Adriana and hear her story of resilience and strength. Hi, Adriana. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Can you tell myself and my audience a little bit about yourself before we get into this conversation? Of course. Hi, Justine. It's so beautiful to see. I love seeing you. Like, I just feel like you have this energy about you that is just so... I'm like, oh, I want to talk to her more. I don't thank know. Thank you. <laughs> I feel the same about you. Maybe oh, we have this you. connection. Yeah, that same aura. Yes. Um, I'm Adriana. Some people call me Audrey, Adri, Anna. I literally have a million names. I also go by mom. I have three kids and well, four if you include my husband. I know that's an old joke, <laughs> but it's so true. Um, I am a life coach with an expertise in manifestation and human design. I'm a speaker. I absolutely love speaking at conferences and events. I think that just lights my soul on fire. I'm a podcaster. Um, I do also have a podcast and I'm a big animal lover and lover of wine and new girl. Many hats to wear. You are a busy <laughs> woman. Shout out your podcast. What's the name and what's it about? It's called Women Who Want More. And it kind of came out of what I had as I call my quarter life crisis when I was trying to understand what I was here on this earth for and really learning other women's journeys into entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial. Well, what's the word there? Entrepreneurship. Why does that entrepreneurial, sound so weird? I think that's fine. Life, entrepreneurial life. Yeah. There you go. Um, or starting some sort of business or finding their their passionate career. And then I started turning those conversations into a podcast so that they could reach more people. I love that. That's amazing. Thank and you. And for those of you listening, go check it out because she has some real good stuff on there. And yours truly is going to be on there. 
Yes, I am. I'm looking forward <laughs> to recording with you soon. Me too. So I don't have you here, though, to talk about any of that. I have you here to talk about something more personal, a lot heavier. Um, and I'm so thankful for you to be so brave, right? So we're going to have you talk about your personal journey of recovery from surviving childhood sexual trauma, really, childhood sexual abuse. So I can't thank you enough for giving a voice to this because it's something people go through and struggle to communicate with anybody, let alone bring it for thousands of people to hear. So I, I respect that and I really am so thankful for that. So let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, you know, such as how old you were at the time and how you handled it as a child when you went through it? It's so interesting. When I ended up going through the court about all of this, they hammered many, many times into me, like, how old were you? Like all the details. And to this day, I cannot tell you exactly how old I was. I think I was maybe, I think it was a couple years that it happened. And I think I'm guessing around ages eight to 10, um, and I used to, I used to always ask myself, like, what's wrong with me? Did this really, did this not really happen? Why can't I remember any of this? And it wasn't until recently that, you know, I've read the body keeps the score and I start to understand my brain is literally wiring me to try and forget about it. So I know I'm going off on a tangent here, mm -hmm. but no, it's useful um, <laughs> for people to hear that. It, it was a whole journey in itself, trying to understand what I knew or what I thought to be real versus what my head was telling me was real. Mm -hmm. So around the ages of eight to 10, um, it was from someone who married into the family. So it was never really suspected or anything like that. And it ended up stopping around the time that they had children. So that was definitely a blessing for me to see that happen. But there's so many pieces that I struggle to put together. Some mm -hmm. of it has been unlocked more recently in therapy and EMDR therapy mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, but there's still a lot that feels like a very heavy gray area where I just can't fully understand everything. But there are some moments that I vividly remember exactly what happened. I don't know what else would be helpful on the backstory or yeah. if you have any specific questions on that. No, I, you know the brain is fascinating, right? We have this ability to process information and our brain kind likes to pick and choose what gets stored long-term and short-term, trying to base on what we need more access to. But when we experience trauma, like you're sharing, the brain doesn't know how to process it. So it doesn't go through the, the whole sequence or system of patterns it needs to go through to process memories so trauma looks like shattered glass in our brain and it's just easily shaken up and sometimes our brain works really hard to forget about it because it doesn't know what to do with it or it has it so loosely in there that anything can trigger a memory do you ever had you ever experienced like a flashback from the trauma you experienced as you know a teenager or an adult I still to this day, I have at least one every single day. Wow. Um, what's interesting is in my teens, I don't remember it happening as often. So I'll make a long story short. When I was 25, I had my oldest daughter. And I remember looking at her shortly after she was born thinking, I have to do everything in my power to protect her and other women, kids, people around the world. And I recognized just then I, in my late 
26. I don't know. See, time is all a blur. I don't remember anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, that how important it was to try and get justice for that. And so it wasn't until my mid 20s when I sought him out in the court system. And around the time that all that happened, that has since sent me through that spiral of um, a lot more flashbacks and a lot more just the crap that you have that, that bubbles up that you have to learn to work through. Did you have to face him in the courtroom? I did. Wow. What was that like for you? That was when I remember, I remember walking through the halls of the court with my attorney who was, um, what do they call court, court appointed attorney, Mm -hmm. you know, not someone I hired Mm -hmm. um, because I couldn't afford that. And I didn't think I had to, you know, ignorant. Um, And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, and I hadn't seen this offender in years by then. And all of a sudden we're walking and I see him and I turn and I literally hunch over about to throw up and I just start bawling my eyes out. Mm. And so my attorney's like, what just happened? And of course, I I barely got enough out. Um, that was my first run in with him. And then later in the day when I had to actually sit in the courtroom and I had to point him out. I mean, you know how that goes. You have to specify exactly who you're talking about. And he was right there as I was being asked the most intimate and disturbing details. And I mean, it's no wonder that I didn't, you know, air quotes win in that, because like, how can you put any sort of victim of anything up in front of the offender and ask them to be totally comfortable in saying everything that needs to be said? I mean, it was really it was dumb on my part to think that that was a good scenario. But yeah, it was brutal. Um, I was shaking the whole time, shaking, 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 almost on the verge of vomiting. I have like chills as you're describing this scene, like what torture, but also what resilience you really have to be able to use your voice to to fight for what you deserved, which is justice, right? Oh my goodness, you are so brave. And I know a lot of people avoid that part, like pursuing with mm-hmm. through the court system because of how triggering it could be or the fear of quote unquote failure, you know, and I feel like I'm jumping ahead because I have so many other questions, but I know. <laughs> what did what did that give you though? What did you walk away with after going through that experience? It really took me some time to find the beauty in it. Um because I'm very, very big on understanding that the trauma and the pain that we go through is here for our souls, for fulfilling whatever purpose that needs to be. And so I, at the time, I understood why I needed to go through what I did. I understood that I had the power to help other kids and other women. And, and then when that happened, I just remember for a while feeling like, what was the point that was literal torture that probably made me a hundred times worse Um, but, and, you know, even during the process, before we actually sat in the courtroom, their attorney was asking my attorney if, you know, we could just make it an assault charge and just not go to court. And I was like, there's no way that's going to happen. Like there's literally, that would defeat the entire purpose of everything I'm doing. You need to be on an offender list. People need to know when you're their neighbor, like all that was going through my head. And I also should mention the person he was married to in my family was there fighting against me as well. Oh. Did not believe me. It's, yep. That was a whole, of course, another trigger. Um, and she, yeah, so she testified against me. 
saying things that like, you know, that like, why would I ever go over their house if that were the case? And, you, you know, were eight years things. old. Right. And the, yeah, all these things. So after a while, I started to understand that even though there was such a slim chance of me getting anywhere in the court, I mean, it's no wonder why no, nobody wants to come forward. You're going to be tortured and then 99% chance you're not going to get anywhere out of it. So it's no wonder people don't say anything. Um, But I remember feeling like, you know what? I dragged him through that. I made him face what he did in front of this audience of people, whether or not the judge believed it doesn't matter. I mean, many of other other people in that courtroom could have believed it. And then my attorney also said something like that was still going to be on his record, that he was taken to court for that. I don't really understand the details behind that. Um, I wanted to try and let it go as much as possible. But it, there were little pieces of it that I was like, OK, well, at least there's that, you know, at least I hopefully humiliated him. But also some people saw him for the monster that he is in that courtroom that day. Also, as you're telling me this, I'm like getting so angry and I can't help but be curious if anger is an emotion you've dealt with throughout this whole experience. I think it was. Now what I'm trying to work through is more sadness. And it's almost it's almost more trauma and sadness around the fam my family and the lack of support there. Um, I, cause there's more on that, but I don't want to jump ahead. I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of sadness, but I will say there's definitely some frustration when it comes to like, if my husband goes to touch me a certain way or the fact that I don't like hearing, I love you. And it's really hard for me to tell people I love you and any sort of emotion like that, that now has frustrated me to the point of my husband and I are actually going on an intimacy retreat in about six weeks. And we're very much, well, we, but me, but he's a very supportive person, very much ready to let go of these feelings and these thoughts, let go of the lack of emotion. My husband's a very romantic person and I try to be as receptive to it as I can be, but there's just this big, like, I don't know if it's, I'm not worthy of the love and affection, or it just makes me uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is like the most perfect word for it. So there's, I think, some frustration that I'm working through with that, but a lot of it, um, sadness, sadness for the court system, sadness for the other kids out there who are never going to get the help and the justice that they deserve. I mean, you had such a good point. Who knows who else he has done this to, right? If he was easily able to do it to you, I'm sure there's other people children you were a child right there's other children at risk with this person being around them which is so that's my anger right um but on a happier note i you can't help but be curious if like god the universe whoever you believe in sent your husband to you to work through the intimacy that you deserve and need and really test you with like, yeah, are you worthy of this type of romantic love? Um, are you open to it? And I think that's so beautiful that you look at you paired oh, up with <laughs> such a, oh, I don't mean to make you cry, but I paired- just, I never put that together. I never, yeah. and I, I am a big believer in like our souls meet for a purpose. And yes. actually in, um, in a reading, my husband had, he was actually told that our souls meet up in every single life that we are literally destined. Yeah. 
she didn't know anything about me or our relationship, but we've always felt that way. And so when you just said that, I was like, oh my God, like how healing, right? Like in this lifetime with you, he's this romantic man who wants to just say, I love you all the time. And he's here to test you to work through this, um, to, to work through this trauma you've been through. So let's go back a little bit. So you were your child, you were between the ages of eight and 10 when you experienced this sexual abuse by an adult male. Did you realize at the time that it was wrong or it's hard to remember how you felt back then? No, I, I do. I remember, I'll say I remember-ish. Um, I do remember be- feeling frozen. Like, what do I do? Like, because so I obviously knew it was wrong. I just remember being in that space of like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I knew it wasn't normal and it wasn't right. And again, I've come to understand my reaction now after reading because I went many, many years being like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Why didn't I go get help? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I get up? Why didn't I do that? So it's taken a lot of learning about the brain to understand that and forgive myself and let that go. But there was a lot of just that frozen, frozen, Mm -hmm. like what, what was I supposed to do? And, you know, working with my therapist, my EMDR therapist, got a lot of therapists, Justine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about it. (laughs) She really helped me understand because she was like, what would, what would it have done to get up and tell your mom, your whoever else that was involved at that moment, when you realize later in life, when you told them, they still did nothing. And so that was a really powerful moment for me to understand, like, it's clear I felt emotionally unsupported my entire life. Mm -hmm. So that was probably a big piece of it. My Mm -hmm. father has struggled with depression and other mental illness for as long as I can remember. And my mom Uh, I mean, I'm sure at one point she was supportive, but what we saw when we were growing up was her rolling her eyes at it. And it was always, I was the child who was hugging him while he was crying. And, and Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of pieces in that. Like I did not feel emotionally supported. Um, I was scared. What if I tell someone what's going to happen? So I just stood there. I just sat there. I just didn't froze. Mm -hmm. Fight, flight, or freeze freeze was what was safe Mm -hmm. and love your therapist you make such a good point you didn't feel like you had the emotional support so why talk about it at the time right it was too scary it felt safer to just freeze Mm -hmm. so there was something in your intuition telling you that this wasn't right Yeah. yeah and to be honest I don't remember I don't remember how much we were taught about our bodies and private parts I don't remember I don't remember 80% of my childhood. I was recently going through a training for a certification program and he, you know, was in a visualization. He was like, just think of a time when you were a child and you were elated, you were ecstatic, you were so in the moment. And I could not think of a single one time. I don't have many memories. And I'm sure a lot of that is the trauma response. Completely. Do you wake up feeling like there are not enough hours in the day to get everything done? Feel a pit in your stomach when you get constructive criticism? Or find yourself pressured to make everyone happy all of the time? Then you're probably struggling with anxiety due to habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and overachievement. You don't have to live in this state of being anymore. I have taken every ounce of my knowledge and over 10 years of experience as a licensed mental health counselor to design my first online course, The Path to Peace. 
The Path to Peace is a self-guided program where you'll learn my five core pillars to anxiety management in just seven days. The techniques in this course are proven to help you effectively manage your worry thoughts so you can feel at ease throughout your day, understand the beliefs that drive your need to please, and so you can clarify and prioritize what you truly want. And learn how to slow down and say no more often so you have more time for yourself and what you love. You can learn more about the path to peace by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to carinocounseling.com. At the time, so I know you didn't tell your, your family. Did you tell anyone, a friend, anybody what was going on or was it not until you were older? It, not, no one. wasn't until it was older, I mean, until I was older. I think I was about 13. I had run away from home again. Um, I love that you said again. <laughs> Was this you know, a it pattern was like, of yours? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like little kid running away. Like yeah. I was like, I'm going to leave a note and I'm going to skip off to my friend's house. Okay, I really didn't have a desire to come back, though. I, w- I think I was secretly hoping that no one would find, you know, come find me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, on the car ride, my mom was bringing me apparently to my grandparents' house because apparently that was a punishment. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to go to Grammy and Papa's. <laughs> And, um, you know, kept questioning, like, why are you like this? Yada, yada, yada. Now, keep in mind, I was actually a really good kid. I never did drugs. I didn't even smoke weed until I was like 26. Mm-hmm. I had good grades. Like there was never an issue with the law. I was a good kid, but I was still the black sheep in my family and the bad kid air quotes. And mm-hmm. so in that car ride, I finally spilled the tea and I was like, this happened to me and blah, blah, blah. I don't remember everything else I said. And her response was, are you sure this wasn't just a dream? And so I go down the road for, I mean, years. Did I just dream this? Did I make this up? Like, what is wrong with me? And so that sat with me for a long, long time. So I learned later in life that when I told my mom, she had also told my grandmother. And then later on down the road, a whole fight ensued with the family and him, because apparently they've had a bad history with him. Apparently he's had beef with my grandparents and other things. Um, and so that whole thing exploded. And that's kind of when it came out more now. I was like 22, 23, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not surprised it was 13, right? That's adolescence. Over 13. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point in our development, like we're developing more sexually, right? Mm-hmm. Like we hit puberty, our body's changing. We start to have interest in our sexual parts and what that looks like and what sex will be like and what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. Some schools have sex ed around that time. So it's not surprising to me at some point, 12, 13, this pops back up in your life and you're like, oh shit, I'm familiar with this. This was not the way I was supposed to be introduced to this part of my life. And how amazing that you spoke up and how invalidating the response was. But I also have a lot of clients that will talk about past trauma, specifically sexual trauma, and they often say like, how do I know this isn't a dream? It seems so horrible that Mm -hmm. how could this actually have been real? Because there's, it's fragmented. I don't Mm -hmm. understand it. And they they question themselves. They're like, did Mm -hmm. I dream this? And I think that's a common thing that people go through is the self doubt of like, and that's your brain being like, wow, this is so unfathomable. This couldn't be reality. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably really accurate. Um, I And then there was also that piece of like, well, I have always been the black sheep of the family. I have always been the bad kid 
is my brain making this up to get attention, to do whatever? But for sure, the fact that I couldn't, maybe at the time I could remember more, but I really don't think I, I did. I think it was still pretty blurred out because I remember sitting in that car and trying to run through it in my head, trying to see if it was a dream. And it was still a little, like you said, fragmented. Um, but then I think that made me feel like, oh shit, it was a dream. Did I just do all this and it, and make these accusations and none of that happened? Yeah, it's brutal. You, question, you questioned yourself. It's hard. What you've been through is horrible. It's horrible. I'm so curious. And you, and you started to mention this a little bit when we were talking about your husband. You know, how did this trauma impact your dating life as a teenager, young adult? Um, it sounds like it's hard for you to say I love you, right? What other struggles or challenges did you face um, that could have been related to this trauma? I feel like you tend to see like there's like a spectrum and it's either really at one end or really at the other with, with people with abuse is either they don't want to be touched ever at all, or they end up, you know, quotes promiscuous because mm. God forbid a woman sleep with more than one person. <laughs> but I, what's interesting is I was probably normal, normal air quotes again, mm. normal right mm. in the middle. I always had um, monogamous relationships. Like my high school boyfriend was my boyfriend up until college. And then after that. And um, so I was in denial for a very long time that there was trauma that was affecting me. It wasn't until I'm saying recent, like within the past two years that I realized what what's different in my brain because of trauma. Um, I, I thought I just always had a more masculine energy and that's, I didn't like mushy, mushy stuff. And, you know, I was never that girly girl. So I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't get it, but really what it was, was like, I was like emotionally unavailable. Like I ended up cheating on most boyfriends. Um, mm. I'd get bored and instead of cutting off the relationship, I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to do whatever. Um, so I'm sure that's a piece of it. But then more recently. I think this has been since the court and having to bring all this back up, you know, they make you tell them the story 50 times. Like this detective wants to hear it. This detective wants to hear it. This officer wants to hear it a million times. Mm. And so I'm sure that really did a number on me, but I'm noticing things like my husband will just turn over in bed. This has actually been a real big trigger that I've been trying to work on. He'll just turn over in bed and place his hand like on my upper thigh and I will just, my body goes into this, like, don't fucking touch me. And like, mm -hmm. I just have like a moment of spaz, which mm -hmm. doesn't make sense for our relationship. Like he's never, ever made me feel any sort of way that that wouldn't be okay. Of course. Um, and, you know, before the past couple of years, I just thought that was just, that's just an error. I don't want to be touched. Like, just don't touch me there. Same with other places on my body. And then it wasn't until after processing an EMDR that I was like, Oh, that's related. <laughs> yes, you made the connections there. Yeah. Thankfully, it's not it's not anything too detrimental, mm -hmm. I'd say, besides mm -hmm. the emotional and blocking off what I should be more receptive or what I want to be more receptive to. It hasn't been anything absolutely devastating. I do have pelvic pain with intercourse that being said, though, I have a spinal fracture that we're pretty sure is the cause of it. Wow. So, I mean, it's been for years. So at first I was like, oh, I think this is mind related, which it still could have a piece. It still mm -hmm. could. 
but we did, we just started to understand it has to do with the muscles and my fracture and whatnot, but um, working on both. You're working on both, but you're so aware, right? That's like so key to this healing journey for you is their level of awareness that you have now connecting the dots between what happened to you as a child and how you relate to intimacy, your sex life, your relationships now, but even more that like intimacy is trust too, right? It doesn't have to be sexual intimacy that you're probably impacted by. So your level of awareness and ability to try and work through this is so admirable. It really is. Thank you. It's taken a lot. There's a lot of different, a lot of different things I've done. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it all. But if you also think like the timing of this trauma, you are so young so we're just downloading information constantly we're sponges we're absorbing we're learning about relationships the world boundaries what's right what's wrong so this definitely impacted probably a lot of parts of you that you didn't know or couldn't process until adulthood because you Mm -hmm. just kept moving through life and then when you become a parent i think that changes people and it sounds like that really motivated you to pursue to try and pursue justice. You felt started to feel differently about this, but I think that's common that people don't really connect the dots until they are at a place in their life they're able to see the dots, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. And I, I think, you know, I still to this day don't know what a normal non-traumatized me would look like. Mm. So I didn't know the difference. I never yeah. knew the difference until I did my own research and saw that you can actually see the brain changes on MRI and whatnot. I would, how would I know there was any different? I thought everyone felt like this. No. And you thought you did the right thing too, by telling an adult eventually. And and that unfortunately didn't correct the experience for you either. Mm -mm. Yep. Okay. So I'm dying to know, and I'm sure my audience is dying to know, like what got you through all of this? What has been the most helpful on your healing journey with all of this? I think healing found me. I didn't seek it out. Even in all those court, everything with the hearing and this took, I mean, the court process took over a year. So it was a long time. I didn't even have a therapist. I didn't know. I didn't understand the power of one. I, I just went through, pushed through. I didn't have my first therapist until I was postpartum with my second daughter, who is now three. So three years ago and my healing found me. Five years ago, I was in real estate. I was so burnt out. I was so exhausted and I was just struggling with what am I doing with my life? This is when I go through my quarter life crisis. So I decided to take up yoga just to teach myself to slow down and also to get out of the house and do something that wasn't work related. Mm -hmm. Loved it. I remember going like four times in just the first week and then just became an avid yogi. And uh, shortly after, I started to dabble in meditation, um, which I was the person who was like, I can't meditate. I have high anxiety. Like, there's no way my mind is going to settle for this. And that's why I love when people say that now, because I'm like, "Ooh, you just don't even know. You don't know what's (laughs) coming. Yep. Yep. And so meditation, it was really fun to experiment with it because there's those apps. There's like 10% happier or headspace. And they're really great for beginners and they taught me a lot. And then that started me with a little bit more mindfulness and trying to be more present and patient with my kids. And while I was pregnant with my second at the time. And so I was just trying to learn how to take it day by day and not let work run my life. 
And then I had Reagan. I started therapy. I suffered pretty, pretty moderate postpartum anxiety after Brooklyn, but I didn't know that's what it was. And then with Reagan, definitely some postpartum depression. My husband was traveling a lot for work. So that's when I decided to get the therapist. And then she would recommend like some reading to me and we work through things and techniques that I honestly can't remember right now, but Mm -hmm. they were helpful. And then I started to really be like, there's, there's just some, there's things in my brain that I can actually change. I'm not hardwired to stay hardwired. Like I can actually change and grow and regenerate the things in my brain. And so I started to look more into the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza Mm. and I read on the body keeps the score. And the more I read, the more it opened my eyes to, oh, there's other modalities. There's other things I can do. So then I started not just massaging, but also acupressure massage to really move energy through my body. I I did acupuncture. Um, Then I added other therapies on like EMDR therapy. Um, I had a perinatal psychiatrist when I was pregnant this last time around. Actually, I still have her because it says perinatal, but you can use them like all the time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I have a lot of therapists. (laughs) I Um, love it. (laughs) And then I started diving into breath work. Pilates, which is probably unexpected for some to hear, but there's also a lot of mindfulness and awareness of your body in that. And I was extremely disconnected from my body. So Pilates really taught me on top of yoga, how to be more aware of my body. Then I started hypnotherapy or rapid RTT therapy, rapid transformational. It's a type of hypnotherapy. Um, So that brought up a lot of stuff, but it's also helped me heal a lot of things. I mean, I just in the past two years, I've just really gone down the rabbit hole, like aromatherapy with essential oils, um, obviously like human design. So chakras and anything that align with the centers of my body. It's been a lot. It's been a lot. But I hear you really trying to combine the physical and the mental, right? Like the yoga with therapy. I think that's probably such a crucial ingredient to your healing journey because trauma gets stored in our body and we need to utilize the body to help move it, you know, move the body through this trauma and process it. So it sounds like it's been a nice combination of talk therapy, EMDR, different types of therapies, psychiatrists at times, um, plus the movement with yoga and Pilates. Mm-hmm. I think anyone listening who's a trauma survivor should definitely take some note of combining the mind-body connection to help with the recovery. I think one of my favorite books that I've ever read was called Burnout. Do you know that book? No. The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. Ooh. Oh, so good. Um, It's by sisters who are in the therapy. I might be, I might be, I don't know, psychiatry, psychology. Um. And they really helped me understand the stress cycle, the stress response that happens in my body and how to understand what to do to navigate that instead of allowing myself to linger there. So for me personally, exercise is a big piece of knowing um, how to lower my anxiety and to, to stop that spiral. But there's a lot of other ways that you can complete the cycle and not have to continue carrying it through your day. It is a cycle and we have to learn how to process this whole cycle, like you're saying, to not have it overflow into the next day, the next day, the next day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I love that. So it's been a combination of things. There's no one thing that worked the best. It's just been a variety of things you've tried out and you mm-hmm. included acupuncture too. That's part of the body. I think you mentioned Reiki. 
Oh, Reiki. Yes, I didn't mention it. But you didn't. I, oh, I weird. Have, weird. Yes. Um, Reiki, <laughs> I felt I also, that vibe. Yeah. I also became certified in Reiki one, a lot of it just to kind of understand it and better practice it on myself and, and others around me. But yeah, that was, I'm big on energy healing. Very big on that. I'm also a big believer in talk therapy is absolutely great, mm-hmm. but there's other types of therapy. If you feel like that that is not doing it. If you feel like it's not closing that trauma loop and you need something more, I think people don't realize that there's other types of therapy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they have to find the right fit for what they need. Mm -hmm. And a good therapist will refer you to that, right? They'll say, oh, I, this is what you need. You're, you're talking to me about this, but you need the EMDR. You need this, you need that. That's a better fit for what you're dealing with at the time. So was there anything that was unhelpful or things that got in the way of your recovery? Unhelpful, no, because as painful as some of it can be, I think it's necessary. I think the short-term pain is extremely helpful for mm-hmm. long-term growth and recovery. I was going to say like putting me through the court system in the <laughs> ringer like that was very unhelpful, but no, I mean, I think everything has had its place. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed dabbling in different things and finding what works for me. And then my seasons change too. So like one, if one season I'm not feeling yoga as much right now, then I'll put something else into my routine and yoga can take a back seat. I mean, nothing has to be the same all the time. It's fluid. So if there's anything you could say to someone listening that has also been through sexual abuse and sexual trauma, what would you want to say? What would you want them to know or take with them today after listening? That your voice matters. It doesn't matter what others say. And what I mean by that is um, we've taught our kids the proper names for their body parts. And we've taught them a lot about their body since they were little bitty babies. And we've heard from mostly the older generation, like that's not appropriate. They shouldn't be saying that and all of that. And, but there are studies that show that kids that know the proper name of their body parts have, I don't want to say better defense, but they, they've been able to get out of bad situations easier or better or in general. And so that's really important to me, but others opinions can really get in the way. So remembering what's important to you and to how you want to raise your children is absolutely crucial. But like knowing that your voice matters, I know that's only one tiny piece of it because then someone might feel like I absolutely want to use my voice, but why would I go through the court system just to to fail, you know, just to have all this be brought up and nothing come to justice. And I recommend that when you feel ready to do it, you have an entire support system by you with like therapists and family or partner, whoever, and ways to express your and work through your trauma throughout this entire process. And to remember to to read things like like the body keeps the score or else you're going to be questioning yourself. Like, why don't I remember that? Why is that happening to me? Much like I did. I questioned everything that I thought or said, especially when they asked me to relive the thing like a million times. So understanding how you're wired is a, a part of that, How knowing that your voice matters. Yeah. Educate yourself. Know that there's a reason behind what you're thinking about or feeling. And there's answers out there that you may not even know you needed answers to by doing your research. Yeah. Like if I could go back, I would have 
taken out a personal loan or whatever to get someone who was an expert in the mental health field with abuse and the brain and, and all of that, I would have hired someone to come and testify. But I didn't know that then, you know. And you said you were about 25 when you testified? Yeah, I think I was 26, 27 by then. I I must be so old <laughs> because like I still feel like that's baby life, right? Like at 26, 25, 27, like that's still, yes, you're an adult, but it's still you, you know, I'm in my thirties and like, I feel like I know so much more than I knew in my twenties, right? And I'm sure Mm -hmm. in my forties, I'll know so much more. So it's so easy to look back and be like, I wish I knew this, but we only know what we know at the time. And there was very little on, on abuse and mental health then. That was before the Me Too movement. That was before all of that. And I, I often find myself thinking, God, if this had happened after the Me Too movement, would things have been different? Oh, but yeah. that doesn't serve me. That thought doesn't serve me. So the timing was what the timing was. And you you still sound like you got something out of that experience. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for opening up and sharing this with us. How can listeners find you and connect with you? Thank you for having me come on here and open up for other people because the very first time that I opened up about it publicly, you should have seen my inbox being flooded with messages about, Mm. you know, me too. It was really sad, but that's what our voices are here to do. Lift, lift others up and understand that you're not alone. Um, I connect most on Instagram. I think that's Audrey Keefe, A-D-R-I Keefe. Uh, my website is adrianakeefe.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I try to get better about that. <laughs> and then my podcast is Women Who Want More. Amazing. I will make sure I include some of those links in my show notes for listeners that want to find you. And yeah, some people just need to be seen. And I hope this conversation helps them feel seen and heard through you. So thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. The only words that come to mind are courage, bravery, resilience, grit. I mean, how inspiring is Adriana? And I'm so appreciative of her sharing her story. That's not easy to do. I love that she fought for her justice, not only for herself, but for other women, other little girls, other little boys out there that are unable to seek justice for themselves. So if you enjoyed this episode, you may also want to listen to episode number eight called How to Recover from Sexual Assault with trauma therapist Dana Coretta Stein. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate or review this podcast so I can get the content out into the world and support more people on their mental health journeys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. For complimentary anxiety management tools, you can head over to my website, carinocounseling.com. Thank you so much for listening and go enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.